Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, hello. Thank you so much for finding Whitehall Sources. Before we get stuck into the politics for you, a quick message from the resident. These hotels, like their choice in podcasts, are exceptional. Whether you're travelling for business or leisure, at the resident, you're offered the best rooms, prices and advice for your needs as well. We are so thrilled to be brought to you in association with the resident, who have proudly backed us since day one. When we're booking a stay in London or Liverpool, it's the resident we head to, and it's the resident you should head to. To find out more, click residenthotels.com. confident this is a very strong piece of legislation. I think most legal experts, former judges have all said that the legislation is incredibly strong. It is effective. It will work. The key now is to get it on the statute book so we can get the scheme up and running. The question really actually is for everyone who's trying to block that from happening and first and foremost the Labour Party. Hello and welcome to Whitehall Sources. I'm Callum MacDonald. We're recording on Thursday the 14th of December. Thank you for finding us. If you are new, you're very welcome here. We love, love, love that you've taken the time to have a little listen as we take you inside politics with Kirsty Buchanan, former special advisor to Theresa May. Hello, Kirsty. Good morning to you. It's Christmas party day in the Buchanan workplace. That's exciting. It is. I've got my false eyelashes, which if there any time anything like the last time I wore false eyelashes, you fall off in half an hour. <laughs> I have glitter for my bald head. Uh, we're all we're all good to go, and I've got a dress that makes me look like a extra from the EastEnders uh, set. So, what's well, not to love about a Christmas party at work? Merry Christmas to you. That's what we love. Uh, good, right? Well, over the course of this episode, then uh, we're going to try to try to get a bit of an understanding of what on earth has been happening in politics this week. Um, and indeed, uh, we're going to so we're going to focus on Rishi Sunak's week primarily, but also a bit of COP twenty eight, which has concluded. And should we be celebrating the f- what it's achieved? Has it achieved anything? Uh, we'll get into that. But Kirsty, oh my goodness! Right, we need to think about Rishi Sunak's week first of all. Has this been 
the worst week for Rishi Sunak as Prime Minister and for the Conservatives in quite some time, in your assessment? Well, he's got to Christmas and he's you know, still in post. And sometimes that is an achievement as a Prime Minister in its own right. Uh, yes, it's been a very difficult week for him and it is a crisis uh, postponed, not kind of crisis averted. Um, so obviously the f- on Monday he uh, started a week, as anyone would want to start a week, being utterly grilled uh, at the COVID inquiry. Um, and then obviously on Tuesday we had this flashpoint vote over the uh, Rwanda, the emergency Rwanda legislation. Now, the government majority was was 44, uh, so it's passed its second reading and, and ostensibly what a second reading is. It's a bit complicated because it, in essence, a second reading is a bit like the first reading. So the first reading is literally, you just go, here is a bill, this is what it is and this is what it does. And the second reading is in essence a sort of... Uh, you know, a kind of laying out of, of battle lines, if you like, and then it and then it goes into a uh, committee stage, uh, and that is where uh, all sorts of jolly things start to happen to it, and amendments get tabled, and et cetera, et cetera, and that's before we even get into the Lords, where it will get uh, further bogged down. Uh, so uh, the passage of this bill is not going to be easy. He has secured uh, an important and... Uh, uh, initial victory this side uh, of uh, Christmas, but it's a little. I mean, if I can use a slightly tortuous um, football analogy, it's a little bit like getting to half time goalless, but basically your side's been under siege for the entire forty-five minutes, and it's only, frankly, a matter of dumb luck that you're not, you know, three nil down. <laughs> Um, so, you know, and a lot of you know uh, a lot of defensive uh, a lot of defensive work. So um, I mean, what happens when you've got you know? I mean, obviously, I worked uh, for Theresa May in Brexit land, so I know a thing or two about you know flashpoint parliamentary votes. Um, you know, and what tends to happen when you've got these? And it was very interesting to note that the uh, climate minister was 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 brought back from COP. Uh, to vote. So obviously the whips were very nervous about the numbers. Uh, and what tends to happen is you get a, you know, you almost get a spreadsheet, number 10 in the whips office. Um, and you get, you know, those that you know you can bank on, those that you're in essence know that you can't. And then a, a group in the middle that you can try and uh, persuade. And what you tend to do is you literally. You know, you all sit around the cabinet table and say, I can take this person and this person and this person. I have a good personal relationship with them. And you ring them up um, and you can try and persuade them, uh, in this case, you know, not to vote against this legislation and vote it down. And probably the argument that would have been used is like, you know, look, we can talk more. There are things we can do on the face of the bill if you're uh, if you're uncomfortable with it. But, you know, let's 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 talk about it more over over Christmas and see if we can get into a place that you are happier with. Uh, and that strategy seems to have worked. Uh, we had a number of abstentions, but nobody voted, no Conservative voted against the bill. So that was a good operation by Number 10 mm. and a good operation by the Whips office. Uh, it has, however, only postponed the problem. And it doesn't mean that the Prime Minister doesn't go into the new year with exactly the same problem he's got now with this piece of legislation, is that it goes p- potentially too far uh for the one nation if it gets hardened up at all and it has to get hardened up if it's going to appease 
the right of the party. Uh, and there is the rock and the hard place that uh, Rishi Sunak finds himself in. Now, the fact that he's managed to wriggle through the rock and the hard place uh, before Christmas, uh, you know, is a sigh of a relief. But, you know, it'll come crashing back on him. Uh, not that rocks come crashing back, but, you know, it'll come it'll come full force back on him in the new year. Yeah. I was quite taken by well, quite a lot of YouGov polling yesterday, but the, the sort of top line from it was that Rishi Sunak is now um, as popular, or indeed as unpopular, as Boris Johnson was when he resigned. Now, polling is polling, but it is a bit of a slap in the face, is it not? Because that's, when you can draw that stark comparison, look, you've hit the same level as the previous, well, two prime ministers ago did, when, um, when he then sort of felt the need to resign. It's, it's just a bit of a stinger. Well, to be fair, Boris Johnson felt the need to resign because uh, uh, countless ministers resigned their post and mm. he literally couldn't uh, command a functioning government. Uh, we are very, 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 very far away from that. Um, but I do think a sort of malaise has slipped into the party, uh, an acceptance that all is lost uh, for a general election. And therefore, you see increasingly more and more MPs uh, jockeying for what comes afterwards, which mm. you know obviously brings me back to Rob Jenrick, who uh, was a former, you know, close ally of Rishi Sunak, who uh, resigned over the Rwand legislation because he said it doesn't go far enough. Now, uh, you know, as I said last week, I think some of that is motivated by sour grapes because I think he probably uh, thought he was in line for the Home Secretary's post when uh, Suella Braverman uh, was sacked. Um, he was, after all, put in there uh, by number 10 uh, and does quite a lot of the heavy lifting there. Um, so I think some of that was sour grapes, but I think some of it is jockeying for what comes afterwards. And, yeah. you know, do I think that he thinks he can be leader? No. And I think he ruled it out of the weekend anyway, that he was not interested in going for the leadership. But I think he is interested in positioning himself as a, you know, as, as a king or queen maker for what comes afterwards and therefore a better job in cabinet. Uh, you know, a cabinet job than, you know, the job he's got now. So I think, you know, there's a lot of that going on. Mm. Um, and I don't know how you counter that while the polls stay where they are. And I don't know how you shift polls that have stubbornly stayed where they are for, uh, you know, for the whole year. You know, yeah. for the whole year, Tories, yeah. have, uh, Tories have been 20 points or there or thereabouts behind uh, they've tried various different strategies, and and this is one of the biggest problems because they keep on, you know, we'll try this. This hasn't stuck. We'll try that. That hasn't stuck. You know, I've got to the end of the year, and if I'm going to be honest, I don't really know what Rishi Sunak stands for. Uh, I don't know what his kind of brand of leadership is. I don't really know what kind of country he wants to lead. Uh, and I don't really know if I voted for the Conservative Party, what Conservative Party I'm voting for. Mm. Am I voting for One Nation or am I voting for uh, this this rise of the populist right within the Conservative Party? And, and herein lies the dilemma. You know, it used to be a broad church. It is now split so badly uh, that you know, I expect the church roof to come crashing down at some point because it just it doesn't seem sustainable. Yeah. It's interesting that you say that, Kirsty, because um, on the other on Hollywood sources where we look at Scottish politics, Jeff says the same thing. So Jeff Aberdeen, who used to work with Alex Salmond, says the same thing about Hamza Yusuf. He says he has not set out his vision, 
and be, when you do that, or, or when you don't do that rather, uh, and you're, you're you're kind of directionless. So if you've not set out what sort of leader uh, you want to be, then it's very difficult to actually set a direction because once you set out what kind of leader you want to be, everything then feeds off that, and that is the constant thread through which all your policy decisions can be made that you can keep referring back to. And it's the foundation on which to build. It's really fascinating that actually what we're, what we're experiencing kind of across the UK is, is leaders without vision is kind of what we're saying. Yeah. And that, you know, and it, and it comes back to conference. That for me was the pivotal moment, the lost moment for Rishi Sunak. You know, we went into the conference season saying, you know, that both leaders needed to do the same thing, which Mm. is a, you know, open up, be very personal. This is my background. This is what formed my values. This is what my values are. And therefore, this is the country that I want to build. Now, uh, I don't think there's a single person in the country now that doesn't know that Keir Starmer is the son of a toolmaker. I mean, (laughs) it's something that even he kind of takes the mickey out of now. But there's a reason for that, because it's shorthand for, you know, I came from humble stock, you know, and therefore... You know, I know what you know. A good education and you know, and hard work will 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 take you to in life, and that's what I want for everybody else, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. It's an aspiration message from someone with a aspirational background, um, but we didn't get that from Rishi Sunak. What we got from Rishi Sunak was with three uh, disparate uh, and slightly bizarre policies. Um, with no kind of golden thread, no vision, very little on the personal stuff. And so, mm. uh, and one of those policies, you know, was obviously leaked in advance and dominated the whole uh, conference anyway. So it was just a huge missed opportunity for me to reset the dial. And things that come afterwards aren't big dial resetters. They're really not. I mean, you know, reshuffles, if you can get through them by the skin of your teeth, you know, without really, really cheesing off, you know, and making significant enemies, that's a good reshuffle. Um, you know, and King's Speech, you know, is very hard to set out a kind of uh, a vision for the nation through your legislative program. Uh, and similarly, the Autumn Statement, they, those are those are things that should feed into, as you say, a, a vision uh, that we're already clear about. Mm. Uh, now, you know, we've talked about the vision thing before and how sometimes it gets knocked off course and it gets knocked off course uh you know, sometimes through things that, that there's just nothing you can do about. I mean, Theresa May's uh, vision uh, as a prime minister was, you know, giving a voice to the voiceless, you know, and addressing social injustice. But she never got the chance to do any of that because her entire premiership uh, and the fall of her premiership was dominated by Brexit and the maths that um, uh, that, that she inherited because of an extraordinarily bad general election campaign. Um and that is something that she is now pursuing uh, post-premiership. Uh, a lot of uh, David Cameron and George Osborne's premiership was dominated by, you know, correcting the mess, sorting out the country, putting it back on its feet, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, after the, you know, quote unquote, there's no money left legacy uh, of, of the Labour Party. Uh, so they had a sort of defining vision. Boris's obviously was, was levelling up. Um, and that, again, got knocked sideways partly by Boris and Boris's own behaviour uh, and partly by COVID. What is Rishi's vision? What does he want to do with the country? 
if we go through the pain, what does a sunny upland look like? And nobody knows. Mm. And because nobody knows that, all we can see is what we, you know, all we're presented with is a man who is, uh, you know, increasingly seeming to try and appease uh, two uh, intractable wings of his own party, you know, the right and the left. You know, you govern for the country. You know, there is a certain... I was talking about this to a, 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 a friend of mine the other day, a senior member of the Conservative Party. There is a certain strength sometimes in weakness. Does anybody seriously think uh, that going into an election year you can replace the Conservative leader right now? I mean, you know, it being this modern Conservative Party, who knows? <laughs> but, you know, I think at some point you've just got to grow a pair and say, no, I'm governing this party and this is what we're going to do. Yeah. Um, and if it means removing the whip from people, then it means removing the whip. Uh, but, you know, I think because you've created a vehicle now uh, through the emergency Rwanda bill, you know, you, 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 you do reach a flashpoint on that. But yeah. at some point, you have got to get a pair of cojones and say, right, no, this is going to be a no confidence, you know, it's be viewed as a confidence vote. You either back me and back this bill uh, or I'll call a general election. You know, yeah. I just... He's got. He's backed himself into such a corner. I don't see any other way out of it, um, and it's it's a terrible shame because he's a good and decent man uh, who inherited a terrible legacy. Uh, the same legacy that you know what we now presume will be an incoming Labour government will inherit. Mm -hmm. uh, although they'll have a much more, you know, they'll have much more goodwill inherited because they're not uh, part and parcel of the same problem. Um, you know, and I think most people know. That he is, uh, you know, hardworking, uh, is trying to do his best. But you know, I think people have come to the conclusion that you know, a lot of people have come to the conclusion, including his own party, that it's not good enough, and they've moved on. And this is the weird thing about Downing Street. Sometimes it's a, it's a, it's a hard thing to try and convey. But I, I experienced this a lot in in Brexit land when we were at number ten. You are you know, planning and strategizing for a, an event, a flashpoint, and you'll find the party has already moved out from underneath that and is further down the line than you are. And you're forever playing catch up with your own party. Um, and I think this is what's happened here. I think he had a moment to grip it. I think it was conference. I think it uh, it was a missed opportunity. And I think since then the party has, you know, parts of the party um, have moved out from underneath that and are further down the road and looking at what happens in opposition. Yeah, that is actually fascinating. And as a diagnosis, probably explains quite a lot, if not everything, about what's going on right now. I should say that Rishi Sunak's week started at the COVID inquiry. That's where he spent Monday. Um, and I was there, well, I was in the office reporting on it for Times Radio once again. I've become COVID inquiry correspondent, I think. I have to say, I mean, he was, it was, it was like sitting in a meeting with your manager of a, of a sort of corporate company. And, and I think for most of us, we'd probably be a bit bored in that sort of context. But he seemed to really be thriving and he had a good grip on detail and he said a lot of words and um, there was kind of, you know, he could pin down the date in a way that was really contrasting to Boris Johnson. Um, and it went on, you know, he was doing sort of five or six hours answering questions, giving evidence, and he was critical of the scientists 
you know, in a roundabout way when it came to eat out to help out and that they hadn't raised their concerns about it at the time. So he was, you know, he was punchy when he need to, needed to be as well. But I have to say, and, and perhaps this isn't surprising given all we've said about Rishi Sunak in the past, but he seemed very in control, very in command and very comfortable, very at home in that sort of setting where he was, you know, it was almost as if he was delivering a set of corporate results to his board. It, it was like, it was sort of just delivering information that he clearly had a real grip on. And this is everything that we've said before about him being that sort of chief executive managerial typed prime minister, where he's great in that sort of setting, but perhaps the politics of the situations in which he finds himself kind of evade him or maybe don't even interest him. And so the kind of strategizing around that falls away a bit. And and this is why principals need senior advisors around them who are not like them. Yeah. They need people that counterbalance who they are. Now, you know, Rishi Sunak has lots of strengths. I think we saw it, you know, at its greatest with the Windsor framework. He took that, you know, slightly, you know, dodgy bounce through Brexit deal uh, that, that Boris Johnson had signed off, knowing there were bits of it that, you know, that were circles that couldn't be squared. And he, and he sorted that out. You know, that is Rishi Sunak's qualities. He is a technocrat. He's in incredibly intelligent and can get to grips with very complex things. But managing a party is about managing people, managing their emotions, massaging their egos, uh, you know, appealing to, you know, appealing to them and leading through the heart, not through the head. Uh, you know, politics is passion. Um, it's not a spreadsheet. And I think this is some of the problem. And if he had, you know, and, you know, I know a lot of the people at number 10, they are incredibly bright, wonderful, brilliant human beings. I would, you know, if I had a company of my own, I would hire any of them in a heartbeat. But none of them have got, you know, the gut, the political gut um, uh, and the ability to, you know, forge connections within the party that he needs. Um, You know, actually, to be fair, that's not true. I mean, I think, you know, Liam Liam Booth-Smith, his chief of staff, has got that kind of gut, and there are other people around him. But en masse, they make a kind of intellectual core um, who come at everything in an intellectual way. And some things are just about good old gut, which is why people say, you know, Rishi doesn't understand politics. I mean, you know, of course he does, but sometimes you've just got to have that. I mean, it's almost a physical reaction, you know, within your body. You've got to have that gut instinct. And, uh, you know, you can't just, as I say, get out a spreadsheet and look at it and go, right, I can I can crack this problem because, you know, humans aren't always logical. And I think that is a, you know, I think this is a, you know, a, a, a big problem for him. I think that, uh, you know, and this is why, I mean, I was astonished. I, I turned on the, um, you know, the, the main news at 10 on Monday and the lead item wasn't the prime minister at COVID. Mm. It was the, you know, the run up to the flashpoint vote over the Rwanda bill. And I thought, you know, can you imagine this? You are the prime minister being grilled for an entire day on what you did and didn't do during, you know, the pandemic, and it's not the lead news item. Um, And so actually I went back and looked, because I'd I'd obviously been busy working, you know, so I went back and looked at some of it, and you're right, you know, he was was punchy rather than Mm -hmm. tetchy, but it's, you know, this is his forte, you know, dealing with complicated things, um, you know, uh, being across the detail of stuff, this is what he does and this is how he's comfortable. 
but that doesn't, you know, that doesn't relate to uh, an ability to relate to people outside of a kind of intellectual base. Um, and I think to try and, you know, and we've tried a variety of, you know, and I get it, you know, it's not easy. You know, I can see people in comms trying to, you know, going into the summer after those by-election defeats, we were briefed that we're going to see a more muscular, you know, more punchy prime minister. He'd stabilised the ship and now he's going to come out swinging and we were going to get to find out that the man had, a, you know, a, a steel spine and all this kind of who. <laughs> Uh, so we were waiting for him to come out swinging and go, right, you know, let's have you, you know, Tory right and, you know, bring it on. And what we got at conference was was High Speed 2 getting axed and smoking getting phased out. And I can't even remember what the other one was, Baccalaureate. Uh, and, yeah, so, so slightly baffling baubles of policy that had no kind of coherent thread to it. And then we got, you know, and then we got brand rebranded as the change candidate, which was about the most inauthentic uh, kind of comms rebranding I think I've I've ever seen. So yeah, so I've, I'm I'm confused and baffled about who the prime minister is, um, what he thinks about the country, uh, and you know what his vision is for it. Mm. Um, and as much as people aren't sold on on Starmer. Starmer only needs to, you know, Ming vase this a bit, you know. Uh, it's his, you know, it's his to lose now. It's not, um, you know, and if they carry on the way they do, they don't have to have great detailed policies. They don't have to really engage with broadcasters who will give them tougher and tougher questions as they go in to like, look, all these problems will be your problems. Um, uh, you know, there's a you know there's a there's a whole bunch of decent holding lines on those that can and will them get them get them through the election. So, mm. uh, yeah, I just uh, look. You know, politics is volatile and anything is possible. But uh, you know, it does feel again like a party that has, you know, got to Christmas on its knees. Yeah. You know, Downing Street sort of scraped there, um, and you know it it you know no doubt there'll be another reset attempt in the new year but it you know it feels more and more and more like it's all over but the shouting yeah unless they do something really bold to change the dial interesting okay watch this space watch this space that's rishi sunak's week well i mean so far it's only thursday goodness knows there's still potential for some other chaos to unfold somewhere say hello to a new era of mental health care Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Let me tell you about the resident hotel where I just stayed. That's right, I have been to the resident in Liverpool for a lovely, lovely stay. I have to be honest, it was wonderful. And I'm not just saying that, I promise you it was great. The warmest of welcome from the lovely reception team, including a lovely welcome card signed by Megan and the resident team. We were offered a map, we were offered guidance on where to go for food and for drinks. The location was great. We had several activities in Liverpool. We had a friend's birthday dinner. Then we were bowling, we were doing all of that stuff, and all of it was within a 10-minute walk of where the hotel was, which was perfect. Not only that, we had guidance on the best local restaurants and bars where we could also get discounts as a result of staying at the resident. The little kitchen in the hotel room was very, very helpful for coffee drinkers. Unbelievably, I'm not one. There's a little coffee machine right there as well. Do you know what was lovely as well? City centre location... Double-double glazing. There was the outdoor window, then an indoor window. No noise. I slept like an actual log. Beautiful room, very spacious, well-equipped, lovely hotel, lovely staff, lovely location. Take this as a personal endorsement. I've been there, done that, and you should do the same. Stay at the resident. Let's just do a few minutes on COP28 as well, because this is the other kind of story of the week, really. Um, Nearly 200 countries have pledged to move away from fossil fuels for the first time. Uh, This climate deal that's been adopted at COP28 in Dubai is being described as historic. Uh, there were a lot of um, kind of split views on phasing out. This is It was phasing out versus phasing down. Uh, but uh, there is now the agreement that there will be transitioning away from fossil fuels in energy systems. So it's the first time that all fossil fuels have been mentioned in the outcome of 30 years of these climate conferences. Are you feeling enthused, Kirsty? Is this a time to celebrate what was achieved in Dubai well, I don't know if you, you know, you heard the, uh, um, and, and on radio they had to describe it as a standing ovation because if they didn't describe it as a standing ovation, you wouldn't have known. That's right. Um, I've never heard a room of such weak applause uh, in my life. Now, I mean, again, you know, th- this uh, this cop almost ended in disaster. It almost ended with most of the European countries walking out because the Gulf states tried to remove uh, any reference to um, uh, any reference to fossil fuels out of that final text completely um, and so what we've ended up with now you know I know I spend a lot of my time uh, talking about the the value and the importance of compromise in politics uh, but what we've ended up with here is a sort of uh, what you know, call it unhappy compromise that doesn't mm. really seem to have pleased anyone the Gulf states have um, have had to concede to put fossil fuels in there, but it doesn't talk. Critically, the original text said phase out, um, and that as a compromise has been removed. So rather than phasing out fossil fuels, uh, that's been transformed into moving away from fossil fuels, like there, you know, some 
drunk person at a party that you don't want to stand next to. Um, uh, so, look, you know, uh, I mean, I am astonished that we've got to almost 30 years of COP and, and, and the words fossil fuels have only just, I mean, that was that was the thing that astonished me the most about, uh, about this COP. That's the first time the text ever actually had them. So is it a victory? Well, I suppose so, but it's a bit of a hollow one. Um, you know, it's so incremental, away. isn't it? These the changes from COP yeah. just feel like teeny tiny steps in the face of what is an absolutely massive problem. Hmm. And look, and if you are a you know a small island state already subject to uh, you know the, the 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 front line, if you like, of of this climate emergency. Um, you'd have probably gone away from that cop and wept because that would yeah. have felt like the last, the last you know chance that that, that, that your uh, island had. And I, I was listening to the woman, um, I think from Samoa, and said, "Look, you know, I mean, more in sorrow than in anger." But she said, "No, <laughs> this is nothing to celebrate." Um, you know, and it comes back to the, to the you know, to the point that we've made a few times about immigration and sort of circle, segue neatly back to the Rwanda bill. You know, look, the Rwanda bill is for, for many people beyond the pale, um, but it is a, a glimpse of what we are going to look at increasingly in the future if we do not uh, wake up to uh, and tackle the climate emergency that, that is coming. I mean, it's not, you know, it is not outside of, uh, you know, some rampant Trump supporters. I don't think anybody uh, thinks that we're not facing an emergency. But I don't think people have you know, woken up to just what that means in terms of social co cohesion and mass migration, because it will render huge swathes of the, of, the, of the world uninhabitable and it will lead to mass migration. So actually, it comes back to my point about Britain should be working uh, with you know, if you're going to pursue forlorn hopes in immigration, you know, I'd rather that Britain started to work with Europe on a pan-European response uh, than, you know, pursued this third-party uh, piece of legislation, partly because it's, it, it's you know, expensive and unlikely to work and divisive, but, but also because, you, you know, you just need to have a, um, you know, kind of multi uh, you know, multi-group approach to this. This is not one country's problem to solve alone. Yeah. Um, you know, and 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 yeah, I don't I don't think COP was a was a, was a great success. I think it was a uh, uh, a triumph over of politics and politicking uh, over the reality that we face. And nobody wants to be honest about you know, the scale of what we face and the cost that will come to people. And, you know, at Stonehaven, we do energy transition stuff. It's, our, you know, it's, it, it's what we specialise in. And, you know, poll after poll after poll will show you there is not a voter in this country that doesn't care hugely about, you know, uh, accelerating decarbonisation and moving more swiftly to net zero. Where they resist is being asked individually to meet the cost of that. Um, and so if you move away from, you know, mandated change that falls onto individuals and move towards, uh, you know, infrastructure change uh, that falls. And this is actually, to be fair to Rishi Sunak's government, this is what they are, are trying to do. They are trying to shift the burden and the cost of that onto companies, but making it easier for them in terms of tax relief and what have you. Mm. Uh, but it has to be. Uh, an infrastructure movement and not individual change because 
you know, individuals in this country quite rightly go, well, hold on a minute, you know, why am I having to shell out £15,000 for a, for a heat pump when uh, when China still behaves the way China does, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so there is no appetite in this country for individual mandated change, but there is a huge appetite, a huge appetite, overwhelming support for the government moving you know, further and faster on decarbonisation and, 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 and hitting that net zero. Um, and you know, and that, that figure only goes higher and higher the younger you go down the population range. But it's across demographic and it's across regions. Did you hear about Graham Stewart, uh, the climate minister who flew back from Dubai um, for the Rwanda vote and then went back to Dubai to take part in the conclusion of COP? <laughs> this government uh, is not yeah, anti-flying. I mean, look, yeah says the spokesperson, <laughs> clearly. Uh, yeah, good. Um, well, what can I tell you? You know, what, what we really need is sustainable aviation fuel. Uh, we need a government that speeds up its sustainable aviation fuel delivery plan so that we can have uh, uh, an, uh, an energy supply for our aviation industry, which employs 960,000 people in this country and is worth billions to uh, UK PLC. But the government has backed a British SAF industry, uh, but its delivery plan won't come into won't come into force till 2027. Hmm. Uh, by which point, every other country will have beaten us to the punch. You know, we have a chance here again to, you know, to forge ahead, have some leadership, uh, create a domestic uh, SAF industry in this country, which will create tens of thousands of of good quality jobs right across the UK, in Scotland, in Wales. Uh, in levelling up areas of, of, of England uh, and the government has accepted the principle um, but not sort of, you know, it's will the ends but not the means. Yeah, um, classic. And it needs to accelerate these things. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, the government's own target, by the way, sorry, I'm a bit of a SAF uh, buff. Um, <laughs> the government's own target is to have five SAF plants under construction by 2025. Okay. Its delivery plan for SAF kicks in in 2027. So explain to me how this will be possible uh, at the moment unless it accelerates it. And so, you know, look, there are, uh, you know, this is the point. You know, we need to move faster into renewable forces of, of energy. Uh, and actually, you know, we are, we are world leaders in some of this stuff. You know, we're world leaders in offshore wind. Offshore wind uh, now produces, you know, the cleanest and, and cheapest form of electricity. Uh, so it does bring bills down. It does increase uh, energy security, and it is needed. Uh, so COP. Uh, so you know, yes, there's an irony klaxon um, uh, over over the over the minister flying there and flying back again. But uh, you know, compared with 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 the lack of. Uh, urgency with which this government faces this. Um, and again, you know, you look at Labour, I mean, all right, it's it's pushed its green prosperity plan to the back end of a parliament, but it has an overarching narrative arc about this. You know, uh, the shift, the transition that we must make towards renewable energy in its totality is a win-win for Britain. It's not, you know, it creates new industries, new jobs, sustainable new jobs, not for just the next generation, but the generation after that. Mm. It makes Britain energy secure. And eventually it will absolutely bring bills down for everyone too. Yeah. And so say all of us. Kirsty, thank you very much. When do the festivities start? Are you off Are you off to put your sparkles on that? Uh, 
No, uh, sparkles is a is an evening thing. We have uh, we have some work to do. Oh, then oh we sorry, have yes, some, I forget that. We have some work to do. Then we have some prizes to give out to our brilliant, brilliant team. Oh, nice. uh, then we've got Secret Santa. Um, uh, I have surpassed myself with my Secret Santa. Um, uh, and uh, then I go and pour a load of glitter on my head and go out and do something Perfect. that apparently looks like dancing. It's hard to tell. <laughs> well, have all the fun. Uh, enjoy it very much. Uh, and uh, we'll catch Thank up again you. on the podcast on Whitehall Sources next week. Uh, if you follow and subscribe, then it means that you will get our new episodes as soon as they are available. They will drop into your podcast feed. Uh, please make sure you do that. If for no other reason, then next week you might hear Kirsty and the debrief on the Christmas party. We'll get all the goss uh, on next week's episode. Uh, thank you very much for listening. Thanks for being with us. And we'll talk to you next week. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.